eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss any of the content our team at Inside Carolina puts out. It hardly takes any time, and it helps us out a lot. Also, speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt is the go-to shop for all things Carolina apparel. They've got your football jerseys, the t-shirts, the hats. It's getting to basketball season. They've got everything basketball you could want. The weather's getting colder. They've got all the Carolina hoodies and jackets. Also, Christmas is approaching, so get your holiday shopping done early for the Tar Heel fan in your life or for yourself by going to Johnny T-Shirt. You can visit them right on Franklin Street or go to johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, let's get to it. As always, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. Guys, How dare you mention basketball on a football podcast? <laughs> let's just go ahead and start this off. with. Let's set the tone right now. How dare you? <laughs> Guys, Carolina loses to number two Notre Dame, 31-17, to in a game where that score probably doesn't do the game justice because Notre Dame controlled it. From start to finish, it felt like outside of that uh, wonky kind of first quarter. But, Mike, what were – starting with you, what were your general takeaways from this game? Uh, well, we saw the game that we had talked about on our last podcast a couple of weeks ago, which was what's, you know, what's going to happen when the offense has a tough day and lines up against a defense that knows how to stop it. Is, it, is, is our defense going to be able to pull out a game for us? Or are we going to have to score – you know, 40 points and 40 points being off day for us. Well, it turns out 17 points is an off day for us. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised at our offensive output, even d- in spite of the fact that Notre Dame's defense played out of its mind. Um, I'm still surprised that we weren't able to put up three touchdowns. Uh, that, that was something I didn't think I would see this year. I thought kind of our, our floor offensively was, was 21 points a game. Um, I'm, so I, I am surprised to see that we were held to 17. Um, I was even more surprised that we were held scoreless in the second half. Um, that is troublesome because Miami's defense, right, uh, is a little more seasoned, a little more athletic, uh, and now we have some bad stuff on tape that Miami is just going to duplicate, and they have the athletes to be able to duplicate it. Um, so I would expect in this Miami game coming up to see – a very similar defensive scheme and defensive game plan from Manny Diaz and his crew uh, that we saw from Notre Dame this past weekend. EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? (laughs) Well, honestly, I was a little surprised by the defense that showed up. I mean, going and talking through last week's pod and just kind of everything that's been going on this season when we seem to face not only talented offenses, but dual threat quarterbacks, uh, which I'll kind of get into later with my disappointment with that. Um, well, I, I'm, I will say that I was pleasantly surprised with the way our defense played. I, we still did not win, play well enough to win that game, I don't feel like. But I, I was encouraged by some of the stops that we were able to get. I mean, Notre Dame, you saw that they had two uh, notably long drives, 192 yards, 187 yards, where they just kind of consistently controlled our defense. Uh, there weren't a lot of big plays to be handed out. 
which is good. We fixed that problem. But the bigger problem I see is that a team went down to methodically drive after drive and drove the ball down our throats. Yes, we had some good stops. Yes, I think that if we'd have had a normal offensive performance, we probably ended up winning this game. But um, it's days like this where we have to have a defensive team that can pick up some of the slack for the offense. It's great to have that record-setting offense. But unless we stop someone, I mean, and, and we've talked about it all year on these podcasts, when, when is it going to be the day when the offense doesn't have such a great game and what does that look like for us? We've always talked about the windows closing with Sam and some of the talent around him. And I think we kind of saw a preview of what that would look like on Saturday with our defense not really – Holding holding the team to 34 points shouldn't be a good shouldn't be a badge of honor for your defense is basically what I'm saying and I think that's kind of what this is and the most discouraging stat I think I saw all day was the fact that their quarterback had 38 yards after contact. This is a quarterback. And he had 38 yards after contact. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you and saw only him- 40 and only 48 yards rushing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the, the quarterback almost had more yards after contact than we did running the ball with, I mean, with, with I think, two the, the best backfield in the country. So it, it was kind of a weird day. I mean, the, the defense shows up sparingly. The offense really doesn't show up at all. So I, I think we have a lot of work to do. I was encouraged by the play of Tony Grimes and some of the other young guys. I do think that there's a bright future for them. But overall, I mean, it's more of the same. Um, 199 rushing yards that we gave up. We still can't stop a dual-threat quarterback. And I mean, that film's out there. And we talked about this earlier in the season, about four games in after the Florida State games, that if if we can't stop a running quarterback, teams are going to line us up out there and they'll even take their guy out to put a more mobile quarterback in just to be able to have an easy day against our defense. So, I mean, all in all, there were some encouraging things, but still a disappointing performance for the defense, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess I look at it from the perspective of I don't have the highest of expectations or really <laughs> – high expectations at all for this defense. So I was encouraged. And I think if you would have told me pregame that Notre Dame's only going to score 31 points, I sign up for that 10 out of 10 times. Um, But I think this game is just kind of a, this was a measuring stick game for Carolina to see how far they've come under Mac Brown and still how far they want, how far they have to go to be on a team's level uh, like a Notre Dame. And it's going to come in the trenches. I think we saw that pretty clearly that, Carolina just got outmanned, uh, couldn't match the physicality of the Irish. And it, it was, uh, like I mentioned, a game that kind of didn't do the final score justice as Notre Dame controlled it from basically start to finish. But, Mike, this was a, a tough matchup for the offensive line. As, like I just mentioned, they just looked overmatched for the majority of that game. What did you see along the front? Yeah, so, I mean, first thing, I'll push back a little bit on you. I don't necessarily know that Notre Dame controlled the entire game from start to finish. They certainly controlled the second half, right? Um, The measuring stick point you made was correct. Um, Where Carolina is is that so far, if we want silver linings, for the last two years, we've we've taken the number one team in the country down to the wire, team that played for the national championship. Um, We've now taken the number two team down to the wire, another team that I think could probably play for a national championship, in large part due to its offensive line. Um, and how, how impressive Notre Dame's offensive line is. Uh, I, think, uh, I think Notre Dame has the best offensive line in America right now, um, and I've thought that for several weeks, um, frankly, since they played Clemson. But I think one thing we need to – one takeaway we do need to have here, and, and then I'll get to your question, um, is that Carolina was out of sorts a little bit in the first half. You could tell – I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if, uh, if it was adrenaline. I don't know if it was just – they were, they were outmatched early on, or if Notre Dame just had, you know, Notre Dame came out and hit them in the mouth a little bit and they didn't expect it. But even f- sort of flailing around a little bit, they still managed to put up 17 points in the first half and come out at halftime tied with the number two team in the country. Um, and it, frankly, they, that should have been a lead, should have been a 17 to 14 lead at halftime. Um, and they had opportunities to score more points. Um, there was a lot of stuff that Carolina left on the field in the first half they left a lot of stuff on the field in the second half too um the second half though i will agree with you they certainly looked like they were being controlled uh, by notre dame's uh, notre dame's halftime adjustments right i mean they, notre dame did a better job coming out in the second half of adjusting to what carolina wanted to do on offense and didn't let carolina get away with some cheap touchdowns some cheap points and some cheap big plays but early on in that game and this will go to your to your affirmative question here 
early on in the first half, uh, particularly in, on the first drive, we saw Carolina sort of running the ball however they wanted to, um, snapping off a couple big runs. Um, they did it with Javante. They did it with Michael Carter. And they kept that going throughout probably midway through, maybe late into the third quarter until they ultimately just got stymied. The real problem we had was that we weren't able to air the ball out at all. Sam was completely uncomfortable. And the reason he was uncomfortable was because of we saw a lot of the old demons for our offensive line come back in this game. I've talked for weeks and weeks about how we need to get better on, on our second-level assignments. We started cleaning that up before the bye week. We need to get better handing off twists and understanding that, you know, and handing off single blitzers, right? When you have a blitzer, right, that twists with a defensive lineman and it operates like a normal defensive line twist, right? It's really nothing special. We need to get better at recognizing that and passing that off. And we had. We started cleaning that up before the bye week. Those headaches came back against Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't throw anything very exotic at Carolina's offensive line. What it was was their blitzers blitz with purpose, right? Um, and they, they were able to blow up our backs several times in pass protection. Uh, I, I thought our backs did an okay job. They hadn't done as good a job in pass protection as they had done in weeks past. That being said, it's not necessarily the back's problem or the back's fault, right? The number of times Sam got sacked, I think it was six times, right? But he was pressured substantially more. Even, even if a back gets blown up in pass protection, all he's really got to do is sort of get in the way in this type of offense, right? He's just got to kind of get in the way and give Sam an extra second, an extra step, so he can go ahead and get to his primary read and just air the ball out. The problem we had on Saturday was that our backs would get blown up, but, as soon as, but instead of Sam having that opportunity like he's had in weeks past to just step around that and make his throw, he's had one or two more defensive alignment, usually an edge rusher on top of him. Um, I thought that uh, – I thought that – Across the board, all five guys had a rough day on the offensive line. I didn't, I didn't, nobody really stood out to me. Um, we had a long pass play to uh, De'Ami Brown, got down to the two-yard line, I think. We ended up scoring a touchdown on that play. Um, Josh Azudu, the play before, had gotten called for holding. I wasn't in love with the holding call. I thought it was, you know, it could, it could have gone either way. On that very next play, which was the long completion of Diami down at the two-yard line, Josh got beat bad. I mean, beat like a drum. And he held real bad, right in front of, right in front of Sam, right in front of the ref, at, right at the launch point, right as Sam was releasing the ball. Josh had his arm wrapped around their defensive tackle, right, and was completely hooking him and yanking his jersey down. And I don't know how that didn't get called. Uh, but that one play – I was concerned was going to be a sign of the rest of the day. And it kind of was, frankly, um, our tackles struggled. Our interior guys struggled. Brian Anderson had a hard time passing off twists and that's how Notre Dame was able to get to the quarterback so easily was their, uh, again, primarily in twist games. The thing that has been beating us all year long, their first rusher, right? When he, when their first rusher would slant, let's, let's, let's use a, let's use a TE twist. For example, tackle goes outside and loops around inside that tackle, that defensive tackle was able to get to the hip of the offensive lineman he was lined up on. Right. And he was able to pry open that double team. So when the defensive end loops around that tackle couldn't crash down and they couldn't pass off cleanly. Uh, they couldn't pass that twist off. He couldn't bump the guard down or if it was the guard right on a, on a TT twist or an NT twist on the inside, they, the guard couldn't bump Brian Anderson off to that guy who was looping around, who was looping very tight, right? You could tell fundamentally their, 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 their twist game was, was on point. Um, they were very, very sound in terms of their, their fundamentals from a defensive line standpoint on their twist game. Their, that, that second rusher was very, very tight off the hip of the, um, of, of, of the offensive lineman that was getting picked. So we had a real hard time passing off those twists all day long. And it was usually that second guy coming free that was getting a lot of pressure in Sam's face. Then you had the first guy, right. Who was already on the, on, on the, on the backside of the hip of the guy he was rushing against. Right. And at that point he's in Sam's face. And now you've got two, three guys on top of Sam trying to throw the ball. And it's a recipe for 200 yards passing right? And one touchdown in an offense that averages 500 plus yards a game. Um, so the, the headaches we had in, in the past game, I think ultimately dictated the problems that we had in the run game, which, which we'll get to in a little bit. But basically my response there is going to be second level assignments were just bad. We just, we didn't see our second level assignments at all uh, for the majority of the game.
Yeah, I was just about to ask you that as a follow-up question. This this offense has kind of been um, a pick-your-poison for defensive coordinator, coordinators, either try to sell out to stop the run or sell out to stop the pass. And Notre Dame did a good job defending both. They held North Carolina's offense to under 100 rushing yards total for the game. And the, the way I'm, I guess I want to ask this is how much d- – does a guy like Michael Carter or Javante Williams kind of hide um, a lot of the deficiencies along the offensive line because, because of their ability to make people miss? Because when you play a team like Notre Dame that tackles so well in space, they're not going to be missing 17 tackles on a guy like Javante Williams like, a, like an NC State will. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, and that's one that's a thought that I had in the middle of the game was you started seeing Javante Williams getting hit and brought down on first contact, which you hadn't seen all year long, and you're you're exactly right. It's uh, you know we got exposed a little bit, um, just the the sheer athleticism and and power that those guys have as runners, both of them, Carter and Williams, um, that has masked a lot of deficiencies in our in our run game. Um, you know we've been talking about this again pretty much the entire season. Um, Javante has made us look good. Michael has made us look good more times than not because we do a really good job for the most part on our first level assignments, right? So on our double teams on the offensive line and sometimes in our, in our one-on-one blocks and our single blocks, but not so much. Uh, but in our double teams, we do a very good job of getting movement at the point of contact, right? So we move that first level guy back. We can get him back a yard or two, um, just like we're supposed to and put him, put him in the lap of a linebacker and put our offensive linemen, right, put that double team in a position where they should be able to easily come off, right, on that, on that second-level defender. We're just not doing it. Um, we're moving that first-level guy, and it's like we're getting our heads and our eyes buried into movement on the first level. Um, and then we're just missing the second-level guy. So we're having, instead of, you know, plays being designed to have one free runner, having one guy, usually a will linebacker, having a guy that you have to book, right? Now in that front seven, we've got two guys, three guys we have to book, and they're all second level defenders because we're mauling the first level. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the disconnect there is, but I think we've gotten, um, I don't want to say we've gotten complacent because I know it's being coached every single day and they're practicing it and they know to do it. They understand their assignments. Um, so I don't want to say it's complacency, but I think we've gotten to a point where we, we prioritize getting first level movement because we understand. And I, and I would too, if I was a player, right. If I understood that I had that kind of talent in the backfield, um, it would be, I would be more concerned with getting first level movement because those guys, again, will make me right more times than not. If I'm unable to get off on my second level assignment, yeah, I'll get a minus in the, in the, in the grading sheet, but we might still get a 10 or 12 yard run because those guys are going to end up doing what they're supposed to do. And they're going to make that guy miss and they're going to get yards after contact. So I don't have as much pressure on me as a lineman to get off on that second level assignment, even though I know I'm supposed to, even though we practice it, even though that's the way the play is designed. um, When you've got guys like that in the backfield, it does make up for a lot where it becomes a problem is when you have a very savvy Notre Dame defense that knows how to shoot gaps, right? They know exactly how your double team is designed to work, and they're going to flow underneath it, right? So we saw that a lot of times. We saw, we saw Mike linebackers. If we saw a front side we'll, – we'll use inside zone as an example. If we saw a front side double team, all right, called up you know, between, a, between a center and a guard, right? If they, had, if they had a weird under front and we had to actually double on the front side, which is rare, but it happens, right? I saw this a few times. And we double on the front side. You'd see that middle linebacker who's not the responsibility, right? If you're doubling to this Sam linebacker right here, you'd see that middle linebacker recognize that double team and just shoot right off the center. I mean, like right off of his hip, right? And hit, and hit the gap right now. Well, we got Michael Carter, you got Javante Williams, who are great at breaking tackles and are very patient runners, right? And are, are, are very athletic, right? But now they're getting hit a yard after the line, after they hit the line of scrimmage, right? For they're getting hit for a one yard gain, as opposed to normally getting hit at yard four, right? And then they can turn yard four, which is already an efficient run into six, seven, 12, 14 yards, right? 28 yards. Um, When you're getting hit at yard one, it's going to be three yards. It's going to maybe be four yards. So now you're scrapping to get an efficient run. Whereas efficient run was just the standard. That was, that has been our starting point in the run game all year long on almost every play. Um, we had a lot more negative plays, a lot more short game plays in the run game 
uh, against Notre Dame than we've had all year long. And I think it exposed some things. And again, you're going to see Miami copycat it. Um, you're going to see Western Carolina copycat it and whatever team we get in the bowl game going to copycat it. I mean, this is just that you're going to see a defensive game plan like you saw from Notre Dame from every single team moving forward. Now, whether it's going to be successful or not is going to, is going to depend on how we adjust to it. Right. And whether we're going to have our eyes up and see our second level assignments, because there were a few times I saw, I saw guys shooting gaps who were the assignment on the second level and our eyes were over here, but they should have been right here. Right. We're taking vertical double teams, which, again, they do great. Taking that first level guy completely vertical as opposed to an angle, taking him vertical straight into the lap of the linebacker. And for some reason, our eyes are over here. The inside player on that double team is looking over here. I don't know why, because his assignment's right here. And I'd see him just shoot the gap. Uh, other times it's all it's it's you know, we've talked about this in the past, too. This will be my last point. And I'll, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here. Um, you know, but we we've talked about understanding what the. We've, under, we've talked about understanding the concept of the play. What's the purpose of the play? What are you trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to create a wall backside? Are you trying to get everybody flowing this way for a cutback? What are you trying to do, right? What is the, what is the philosophy of the play? Again, a few times we'd see guys get brought up to the second level, dropped in the lap of a linebacker. The assignment might be right here, but he's gone. He's, not, he's nowhere to be found. Maybe he hit backside because he, he assumed he was cheating and he assumed that there was going to be a backside cutback and there wasn't or something. But now you've got a guy right here. He's right in your face. And he just, boop, just hits the hole. And now you've got a one-yard gain or maybe a, maybe a loss or a, no, you know, a, a, a net zero gain on the play. If you're this inside guy on the double team and you bring that double team, they bring that first-level defender up into the, the second level, Right? And there's trash all around you, like there's, there's, there's just bodies, and you don't see your primary assignment, but this guy's right here. Just understand the purpose of the play, because if this double team's right here, that ball, I promise you, every time is supposed to hit right out here, right? So if it's, a, if, if, it, if it's a center and a guard, it's supposed to hit outside the guard. If it's the guard, the tackle, it's supposed to hit somewhere off, you know, behind the tackle, right? Behind your double team. It's not going to cut back up the middle. It's, it's designed to hit tight right out here. So if you've got a guy sitting right here and you're the guard on the inside of a double team with your tackle, you've got a guy sitting right over your face as the inside player, just take it, especially if your guy has gone, has, is gone, has just left. That's just understanding the purpose of the play, right? Because when you let this guy go with a team that's the caliber of Notre Dame and a defense that's the caliber of Notre Dame or a Miami, right? That guy is going to make that play. He's going to hit that gap, and he's going to make that play. And if you don't get a body on him or chip him or do something, even though it's not your assignment, right, if you don't get a body on him, he's going to make that play, and, we're going to, and now, we've got no gain on, now we've got no gain on a run that otherwise could have snapped off 12 or 13 yards. And I saw that a few times. Um, that, that worries me that we don't quite seem to understand and not all players, not all players do. Um, and it, it takes, it takes a long time to really understand it. And then to actually apply it in game is a totally different animal. But I would like to see a couple of guys that indicate to me that they understand what the philosophy of a certain play call is, um, and are able to, uh, uh abandon or freestyle on their assignment a little bit. If the greater good is served by, abandoning your primary assignment and taking over another body just because, right? Just because you understand where the ball is supposed to go and you have a feel from your back so you know where they're going to hit to try and keep them, keep them protected, keep them clean, and keep the play alive. I'd like to see that a little more, and I, just, I haven't. And it might be a lot asking from college kids, but, you know, it's, it's, it's possible. It's been done before. Um, it could be done again. I'd like to see a little more of it. I'd like to see any of it frankly. <laughs> EJ, you had mentioned that the defense had its moments on Saturday. And I think the majority of fans and people watching that game came away a little surprised by the defense that they did look good at times. They held Notre Dame to just four touchdowns on 11 drives, excluding the final kneel out. So what was the defense able to do so well that we really haven't seen up until this point? I will say execute the game plan, man, because, I mean, you, you see a lot of times, and I think in our past games where you're seeing these big plays and you're seeing these long runs and these long passing plays, that's usually a sign of someone not taking care of their assignment or someone completely blowing a coverage or not taking care of their gap control and gap integrity on the run defense. 
This week, I mean, we, yeah, we did see some long sustained drives. But what that tells me is that we, we matched up good on good, and their good just may have been a little bit better than our good. And I, and we said that a lot. I do think that some of our problems on defense are going to have to be solved through recruiting. We're just going to have to get some 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 better athletes in there. I mean, you, you look at Notre Dame, they have a wide receiver out there that's the size of a tight end that's running a 4-4. I mean, it's hard for anybody in the country to defend that. And we're talking about putting the guy who's fresh, who's actually supposed to be playing high school football out there to try to cover him. I mean, you, you look at their tight end. He's probably going to be he's, – he's the top freshman tight end in the country. I mean, they're calling this guy Baby Gronk. It's hard to go out there and defend that guy for four quarters, but I do think that from from looking at their talent level, I definitely expected the score to be a lot worse, and I do think that we control that a little bit. I think us having that bye week and having guys focus in and actually actually take the game plan to heart kind of showed up, and you, you showed them – being able to make some big stops from time to time, but that's another thing that the area of concern for me, why can't we have this same attention and detail towards the game plan on a weekly basis where we're supposed to, I mean, every, not everybody has a bye week before their game. Everybody's playing week to week, just like we are in Chapel Hill. So, why aren't these guys taking ownership of, of the game plan? Is there a disconnect between the coaching staff and the players? I mean, that that not not trying to stir up any ghosts or anything that's not there, but I mean that that's what you have to see when you see a group of guys who's basically been the same unit we've seen all season who can't stop a team like a, a lower caliber team, a less talented team like a Wake Forest, a Florida State, or UVA, but then come out here and almost play lights out against no comparative what we've played in the past, lights out defense by our um by our own standards. But I mean, still, you, you saw you saw the ninety-seven yard drive. You saw the eighty-seven yard drive. I mean, they they went out there and just like they did on the defensive side of the ball, they made great halftime adjustments. I mean, that their quarterback was able to improvise and was out there looking like like Patrick Mahomes or someone like that. We're, and we're just not finishing plays. We're not executing. I mean, Coach Brown said after the game that we could have had six sacks. But I think we could have had more than that. I mean, you think about the touchdown where we have Chaz and some of our – and I think Miles Murphy, some of our best athletes chasing a quarterback who were like, okay, we have them. We're going to sack them. We're going to stop, stop them before they go in. Next thing you know, he's improvising and throwing a touchdown to a running back. I mean, which is that's, – that's taking nothing away from Ian Book. That was an absolutely – that was a great play, but still – we need the athletes out there that can that can chase that quarterback down. With your when if you're within three yards of a quarterback who's running backwards, I feel like we should be able to tackle that guy. I mean, I don't feel like that's too much to ask from a Division One athlete on scholarship, but. I really think that we just need to get some better talent out there. I don't think there's any more excuses that can be made. Um, if these guys don't want to go out and tackle, if they don't want to go out and execute the game plan, you have to get someone else in there that will. And and I don't mean to sound harsh, but I mean. When we've seen this level of defense, low level of defensive football over the past few years, and not just putting this on Coach Bateman and his staff, but it's just been a problem at Carolina over the years. And maybe we just need to, like I mentioned in the last podcast, just get some guys in there who may may not be as talented as everybody else around the field, but they're the guys that are going to make sure that everybody, everyone knows what they're doing and they're going to be the, the most disciplined players and end up maybe playing. I mean, that's what happened to me. I wasn't a necessarily a particularly great talent in college, but I always graded out in the high 90%. I was always assignment sound, and I made sure I did what I did for the defense to be successful, and I think you need guys with that mentality. Everybody wants to go out and be a playmaker. Everybody wants to improvise within the, within the defense, but if you don't have 11 people moving on the same accord, you're going to see the performances that we have. And I mean, it's I, and de- defensive football it isn't that complicated. It's not like offense where you have these different schemes and you're pretty much playing chess against someone it's 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 read and react it's know what we're supposed to be doing knowing what I've seen on film following my guy keeping my eyes on my assignment and we saw a little bit more of that Saturday but if we want to be the team that we want to be in the team that we're advertising ourselves as then we got to, we have to win some of these games we can't lose some of these games to, to lesser level ACC opponents and we're going to have to start playing with the with the Florida with the with the uh, Miamis and the Notre Dames and the Clemsons of the ACC. We need to be that caliber team. I think that we can be that, but we just need to get some some more able-bodied people on the defensive side of the ball who are willing to commit to, to the style of defense we're going to play.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Early in that game, my wife said, you know, you never know what kind of team you're about to get. You know, mm-hmm. she, watches, she watches the games with me. She's an ECU grab, but don't hold that against her. <laughs> um, but she, she's watching the game, and she says, you know, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't – you never know what you're getting with this team week in and week out. And she's a lay observer. She doesn't – you know, she, she understands football, but not – I mean, obviously not to the level that, you know, the three of us do, right? And she's exactly – there is no – other observation she's exactly right right and this game was kind of a microcosm of that of that that position right and that Mm -hmm. observation it's that in the first half we had a team that could clearly play with the number two team in the country even playing poorly with poor execution poor blocking we were still explosive enough to make plays on offense and score points and defensively we were apparently good enough to stop people right which we had seen last year set in several games. We saw flashes of this stingy, hard-nosed, bend-don't-break defense, right? And then it, came, it showed back up for what I think might have been the first time all year. We saw it show up in the first half. And then in the second half, for the most part, right, that defense was there. I mean, Notre Dame only scored one – they scored one touchdown in the third quarter, one touchdown in the fourth quarter. EJ's point about what really – what was really concerning was all of the – long sustained drives right Mm -hmm. no real splash plays but just six seven yards a clip you know getting three or four yards when they needed to not getting a quarterback on the ground when you've got him swarmed in the backfield for a 14 yard loss right I mean Ian Book at one penalty I'm pretty sure Ian Book ran in the locker room at one point came back out came down the steps in Keenan and then threw a completion like I'm fairly certain Oh, you saw that too I saw that too (laughs) right and that's and, and and my wife's point which I think is the point that most fans, especially, you know, lay fans would be able to pick up on, right. And even seasoned experienced, knowledgeable fans pick up on this is that you don't know what kind of team you're getting with this Carolina team. You know, are you getting a team that can drop 60 points on people, right. Or are you getting a team that can grind out a tough, close game with the number two team in the country? And the first half versus the second half was a tale of those two teams, right. Mm -hmm. Particularly on offense, right. You can score points. You can, you can play neck and neck with them. This could be a shootout, right. You can, uh, you can move the ball when you absolutely have to, and you need yards, you need first downs, you can get it. And then in the second half, you're just stymied and you can't adjust, mm-hmm. right? And you can't get out of what you do. Um, you can't, you can't get, you can't get out of the things you do in order to try to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, one big problem, you know, we had is that, you know, we have, a, we have a timing issue. This goes back to our pass protection problems. The RPO offense is predicated entirely on being able to run the ball. And when you're running the ball for how many yards do we rush for? Less, less than 90? 87, I think. That's, yeah, yeah. So, yeah call, it, yeah, call it 90 yards from a pair of guys that rush for 100 each on average per game, right? When you're unable to run the ball in that RPO offense, all that ball action in the backfield is at that point just for timing purposes, right? It's just for rhythm. It's not, it's not actually throwing anybody off because you're not a risk to actually hand the thing off and run it. And if you do, it's going to get stuffed. Um, that was not our problem in the first half. That was our problem in the second half. Um, so because we were unable and we were completely ineffective in running the ball in the second half, our passing game was stymied. Um, we had too much – there was too much time in the backfield. The timing of these plays was taking too long. The rhythm was a little bit off. No one was respecting the run, so they were just bringing the house. Um, and our offensive line, you know, I, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't block a fart with underwear. I mean, it was just not <laughs> – it just wasn't, it was, it just wasn't great. Um, so all that to say, you know, it's funny how sometimes the, the most perfect observation comes from the people that maybe necessarily don't understand the same things that you're looking at. Right. And yet you realize everyone's looking at the same stuff. Football's not that complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Consistency will win you games. And we have a fairly inconsistent team right now, which shows flashes of being a top five or top 10 football team mm-hmm. in the country. It really does. I mean, we really, really do at times. Um, we also sh- we also show flashes of being, you know, mid mid two thousands Duke University, and we got to figure out which team we want to be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to the defense, I, I go back and forth between this team has enough talent as it currently is and mm-hmm. this team needs a lot more talent. But when you see them go toe-to-toe with the Clemsons where they're executing their game plan, when you see them go toe-to-toe with Notre Dame executing their game plan, you know, it just doesn't make sense and it, it just doesn't hold that much water to me when people are saying, like, this team needs better personnel for the for the Wake Forest games or for the Virginia games or the Florida State games. EJ, he's calling you out right now. EJ, <laughs> no, he's, no. no, he's, he's agreeing with my point. He's yeah, saying that yeah. when we stack up against the Notre Dame that we are – there is a we talent discrepancy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yes, we no, look, I agree. We look like a sound defense when we have these nationally televised games against these top five teams. And then when you bring a Wake Forest in, it looks like a defense that – doesn't practice all week so there's there's definitely some kind of disconnect there but EJ I wanted to ask you a follow-up question where in the scoring drives for Notre Dame it was essentially Ian Book just playing street football back there Um, Mm -hmm. how frustrating is that for defense when you are playing sound football but the other guy on the other end is taking these dead plays and turning them into positives Oh, you mean like playing against Russell Wilson for three years? I know exactly what that feels like, and I honestly had some some terrible flashbacks watching him play. I mean, it, I mean, you can't even say that this guy is like like they didn't know this was going to happen. One of the things that they said, Coach Bateman said, leading up to this game, is that he doesn't want to let Ian Book sit back there and play backyard football, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, he sat back there and he looked like he looked like a Patrick Mahomes, Michael Vick, Russell Wilson type. I'm going to escape and elude and be elusive in the pocket so I can throw this ball down the field. And, I mean, that's exactly what happened. And, and when we went, were not letting him play backyard football, we were getting in our own way. I mean, you think about the end of, you think about the, end of the second half. We had a missed tackle for loss that would have taken him out of field goal range. Then we get a pass interference. So, between, between – it's, it's, it's more of the same. It's us getting in our own way, and it's us not being able to stop a mobile quarterback. I mean, this guy's really been lighting it up over the past few weeks. And, he, he, I mean, he's done some things like this against better defenses, but – we had an extra week to prepare for this. We knew exactly what was going to happen. And we know what happens when, when, when mobile quarterbacks come up against this defense. It's, it's, it's never a good thing. And I don't know how you stop that. I mean, you can scheme a mobile quarterback to death. But, I mean, for us, we didn't start putting the clamps down on guys like Russell Wilson until we brought in some guys like like Robert Quinn. And not saying that – and that's not necessarily saying that you have to be a five-star type prospect. You just need someone that's rangy and, can, and has good change of direction. And I feel like that we have that. I just didn't see. I just didn't see that. I mean, you think about guys like Zaman Fox, Tamari Fox, Chris Collins. These are Jeremiah Gimmel, Chad Surratt. These are guys who I'm thinking. I mean, there's no quarterback in our conference. I feel like who can out athlete these guys. It's just that I saw a lot of times, even on the touchdown run in the last in the last drive in the um. I think it was the – what was it, the first drive of the second half when we had that bogus, I think bogus, fourth and one offside call. Yeah. Jeremiah Gimmel saw the play. He just took a bad angle. He took a bad angle and could have made the play on that. So I think that's a lot of what's happening with these quarterbacks. I honestly think that they underestimated Ian Book and his athletic ability a little bit, I mean, which was kind of obvious. I mean, we'll have four or five guys. I mean, we, we had decent pass rush for the most of the night. We harassed him. We made Why is it, hold on, hold on. Why is it obvious, EJ? Why is it obvious that that Ian Book isn't athletic? (laughs) I didn't say – first of all, I don't know what you woke up on this morning. I'm done. It's 2020. I'm done. What I said was that Ian Book – is that they underestimated Ian Book's athleticism out there. White men can jump, EJ. (laughs) Didn't you see the movie? Let's not make this podcast divisive. Let's all be in harmony. But, I mean, come on now. You know, if you walk out there and you see Ian Book, you're not expecting him to go out there and, and run circles around people. I mean, you look at that a dude guy looks like, like that, that. That dude's built like a fish that lives down at the bottom of the ocean. That's what I'm saying. Now, you look at a guy like Daniel Jones at Duke. When you walk out, you say, okay, this guy's an athlete. I mean, unless he's wide open. and He looks no like a Canadian. He's, he's built like a Canadian goose. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Speaking of. Let's not get off topic because you know playing like one, playing like one right now. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. But I mean, I I don't know, man. I I think I mean it's just it's the more of the same. And I'm sitting here and I'm I'm looking back at some of the notes I took during the game. I mean, you have missed tackles. I mean, even on the questionable fourth and one, 
um, where they ended up getting the tight end run. You still have a P.I. on Tony Grimes, which I would say that was probably his last bad play of the game. I was really impressed with with that kid and and how he played. And you have a touchdown run at the end of that. Then you have a, the next drive, you have a 53-yard pass, but they ended up missing the field goal. And then the last touchdown, 89-yard drive, they start that off with the, with the long run. So there's something in common with every time this team scored. There was either a penalty or there was uh, some type of blown play by us. If, if, we could, if we cut down on that, then I think this is a more, this is a more competitive game. With, with the way our offense was playing and the way um, I think Notre Dame's defensive line kind of played out of this world and held them in check, it was hard for us to win this game. But in a normal situation, I do think we put ourselves in a position to win this game if we don't make some of those stupid penalties and kind of keep this contained a little bit. We, I mean, we honestly we give our offense a chance to have the ball a little bit longer because especially on that fourth and one and that PI, those are drive, those are drive continuing continuing plays. Those drives end if it not if not for those plays. So, I do think that we missed the opportunity one to keep the score a little closer and two the opportunity to get our offense the ball back when we knew they were struggling and we needed to help them get some momentum. So, and that's why I say at the beginning. There are some things that are good, but the overall theme of this game is that we're still not doing enough to complement our offense, and we definitely can't take up take up some of the slack for our offense when they're not playing. They're usually seventy point best. So you want to so you want to you want to take it back now to one of the themes we've been talking about all season, right? If you lose the turnover battle, you lose the game. Oh yeah, there oh, were yeah. no there there were there were no turnovers in the box score, right, Taylor, for either team. No. Nope. Okay, I considered that fourth and one exactly blunder to be the mm-hmm. turning point in the game and right before that i was texting with uh i was texting with a few people a couple former teammates and i said the first team that turns the ball over loses this game and then it was two or three plays later though havoc decided he wanted to he wanted to to get cute and <laughs> and jump and try to draw an offensive lineman off sides um on a no snap no play that is a everybody in america knows what's coming right there even on a weak North Carolina defense, nobody, even if it's the number two team in the country on offense, is going to run a play from the, what was it, the, from their 20-yard line mm-hmm. coming out, right? No one's running the ball or running a play right on there on fourth the and 24. one. The 24. They're punting that football. That is no yep. snap, no play. They're trying to get you. They're trying to draw you off sides to get a cheap, easy first down, right? And they're just they're going to run the clock down. They're going to keep. They're going to keep in their cadence. It's going to be a bunch of hard counts, a bunch of movement in the backfield, and then the play is just going to end. They're going to burn a timeout right when the play clock gets to like two or one second, right? And then they're going to punt the ball. And you're going to get the ball back. It's a guaranteed change of possession. And what do you do? You decide you want to get cute. Because Ray knew they weren't running a play. Once, once they didn't run a play after the, after, after the second hard count, right, everyone and their mother knew they weren't running a play there. Ray decided he wanted to get cute and try to draw offensive linemen off sides. For what reason, I don't know. I mean, maybe five more yards of field position. Their punter wasn't – I mean, their punter had a good day. He had a couple of good punts. But early in that game, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't having a great day, right? The, the first drive we scored on, right, we got the ball around the 50-yard line on a punt. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be at all concerned about them kicking the ball there. So, there's really no reason to do all that. It's just you're just doing too much. You're being too active. And I thought that was – a turning point in the game. And because it was a guaranteed change of possession, we were getting the ball back. I consider that a turnover, right? You know you're getting the ball. You know what the play is. You know all you have to do is not screw it up, and you screwed it up, right? So instead of you having the ball, they get the ball. I consider that you giving the ball back to them. That's a turnover. We lost the game, right? I consider that us losing the turnover battle. And look at the end result. Yeah, definitely, especially the fact Carolina downed that punt at the three, had them backed up, going to get the ball back in a tie game. Um, but, EJ, going off that point you made about Tony Grimes, there were times when you would look out on the field and you have five true freshmen out there, uh, Clyde Pinder, Tony Grimes, Miles Murphy, Jaquarius Conley, Des Evans. And like we have mentioned, they, for the most part, went toe-to-toe with the number two team in the country. It's it's these five true freshmen who really aren't afraid of the moment. How encouraging is it to see these guys going to battle with a team as experienced as Notre Dame, who they were missing two starters and that offensive line still had over like a hundred career starts. You got a grad assist, uh, a graduate student in Ian book with a ton of experience. So, you know, how encouraging is it to see these true freshmen going to battle? 
Oh, it's super encouraging, man. I mean, this honestly reminds me of the same the same situation with my recruiting class against the same team. Uh, 2006, we went up to South Bend to play Notre Dame. Uh, that team had Brady Quinn. Um, who, who's the tight end from Notre Dame? That was that was really good. But either way, they had him. They had Sam Young. Uh, was it Faz- Was it was it Anthony Fasano? It was Anthony Fasano, and then they had the wide receiver that ended up playing um, for the Cubs. Samarja. Jeff Samarja, yep. Yeah, they had Jeff Samarja. They had um, my guy that, that returned all the kicks for the Raven. Was it Tom something at safety? Oh, yeah. And then oh, they had – was, uh, was, was Stephon Tuitt on that team too? Stephon Tuitt was on that team as well. So, I mean, you, you think about how loaded that team was. We're going into there. We're a much worse team. <laughs> this is doing what I would like to say the time that likes to be forgotten during uh, about Carolina football. But, I mean, it's the same way. I mean, you had myself, guys like Brandon Tate, a lot of younger guys who had kind of flashed a few things. But I felt like we went into that game and we performed very well even though we, we got shellacked in that game and ended up starting to fight on their sideline, I do think that we got some important – we, we kind of knew what the moment was. And that's why I speak to that a lot, especially with when we were going down to Florida State and these big games. It's not necessarily about where we are in the season, how good this team is. It's it's a prestige game. And players have to buy in their, into the prestige. You hear coaches saying, oh, this is a regular game. It's, it's never a regular game. If you're going into a hollowed field like Notre Dame or you're playing a team – with the, the national prestige and the historic prestige that Notre Dame has, you have to get up for that game. And it's very encouraging to see these guys went out there on a national stage against some of the best, probably top guys in their recruiting classes that they're actually getting the chance up close to, to see live and live bullets. And I definitely think they handled themselves well. And I think this is going to pay, pay large benefits, maybe not next year, but the season after when some of these guys are, are juniors and into their senior year, it's going to look very similar to what our defense did in 2008, 2009, where there was a, there was a, great improvement between from 2006 and 2007 yeah we got we got some more um some younger guys in that were that were big time players in this program and and great helps to our team but the core group was that guy from those us guys from that 2005 recruiting class who just kind of got thrown into the fire against Notre Dame against one of the teams who everyone thought would be playing for a national championship that year so I think having some of these things is, is it can only help. And, and to the fact that these guys actually play fairly relatively well, that's even more encouraging, which says that, Hey, you can throw me in the fire. I'm not going to be nervous. I know, I know my game. I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm confident in that. And I think that everything else that where they may, may have fallen short only comes with experience. I do think that these guys have the pure athleticism and, and the ability to play with some of these teams. So I'm just excited to see how the, how they progress. And it's now going to be on a coaching staff to further develop these players. Don't let them hang their head because of a bad overall team defensive performance, which I know that can happen, especially with the, high-profile recruit um case in point Marvin Austin we went down to South Florida um Marvin's freshman year Marvin played one of the best games I've ever seen a freshman or defensive lineman play I mean he was all over the field and this guy was in the locker room crying his eyes out and could not be consoled after the game because he wasn't loose to use loose to use and we had to tell him like man you're going to be a great player. Keep your head up. Keep doing the things that you're going to do, that you're doing, and it's going to pay off. So I hope that guys like Chaz and some of those other leaders are, are kind of coming, getting, uh, circling around these younger guys saying, hey, you're doing what we need you to do. Keep coming out and showing up for us every day in practice and every day in the games, and you can have a better career than, than even some of us guys are having. So I definitely think that only positives can come from this, and I'm looking forward to see what, what these guys have for, during these last two games in the bowl game. Yeah, we'll see how this defense is able to build off this performance around those young guys. And, Mike, the last question I have is uh, just not meaning any offense to a school like Western Carolina, but if you're Carolina, how do you avoid coming out flat due to playing such a nationally televised game against Notre Dame to now an FCS-level team coming into Keenan? Um, Well, you've got – you've got to understand that you need this win, right? I mean, you absolutely have to win this game uh, and you can't look bad doing it. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, this is a Mercer game from last year. I mean, you've got, you're going to have to rack up a 50 point win in this game to wash the taste out of your mouth from this and to kind of get back on track. This is, this is one of those games where late in the season, it gives you an opportunity to kind of work on fundamentals. That's what the bye week is for in practice, right? But this is, this is work on fundamentals in a game situation. Clamp back down on your bread and butter plays. Clamp back down on your bread and butter defensive schemes. 
work on if you're on the defensive side of the ball, right? Work on coverage, work on tackling, work on hat and hands fitting the run, right? Work on bringing a guy down um, after first contact, right? Gang tackling, swarming the ball, right? And if you're on offense, right? Catching the football, running clean routes. Um, if you're Sam Howell, understanding the correct, you know, diagnosing a defense and making the correct read against what will likely be relatively def- you know, vanilla defensive front, offensive lineman, right? Handle your assignments, work on your technique and pass protection. Okay. These guys are, again, these are, EJ says it all the time. You know, they might be an FCS team, but these guys are on scholarship at Western Carolina, right? They were, Western recruited these guys because they thought they could play. They lift weights just like you do. They practice just like you do, right? Their class schedule is just like yours is, okay? These guys may not be the same talent level that you are, but you can always get embarrassed by an FCS team. I, I, I frequently use the example of my first start against, um, 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 again, uh, what was it, uh, Georgia Southern, right? My first start against Georgia Southern was not great. Um, I was not – very, I wasn't, I wasn't overly excited about my performance in that game because I lined up against a guy who on film I thought was just a big, slow, lumbering white guy. Like he looked, he looked strong, but he didn't look very talented. He wore the same number as me. He was 66 defensive end. Um, and I thought, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I may not handle this guy all game, but, you know, I'll be able to – I'll learn a lot from this game and I'll play fine. And I had – I played a terrible game. I mean, the kid, he, he tore my up the whole game. He just – he did. Um, and I have to own that. And that was because I underestimated the team that I was lining up against. I never did that again, right? I learned my lesson there. Um, you know, this is an opportunity for guys to, 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 to work on technique and work on fundamentals and really clean up some things here late in the season, which isn't an opportunity you always get, right? But late in the season into this final couple game stretch, right, where you've got a bowl game coming up, you've got Miami coming up, right, and really hone in on some of those skills. But you can't underestimate them because these kids can play too, right? And the last thing you want is to get embarrassed, right, in your individual assignment. I don't think there's a way we're going to lose this game, although it's possible, right? McNeese State, (laughs) James Madison, we've come close in the past, Um, William & Mary. But I don't think with our offensive firepower that we're going to lose this game. But in terms of your individual assignments and your individual competitions, right, with the players across from you, right, player for player, you know, we should want – to dominate the guys that are lined up across from us um, and use this as an opportunity to really work on our individual skills, which of course will make the team play more cleanly and make the team play better on the whole. Yeah. I think this year, especially like when you look around the country at how many games are getting canceled, I think it's easier to not take games for granted um, because this game against Western Carolina isn't, isn't promised the the next week, the game against Miami isn't promised. So I think it's easier to come more focused. um, If you kind of keep that mindset that these games can be taken away from you at any moment, but Carolina back in action on Saturday, noon kickoff against Western Carolina on the ACC network, Carolina trying to protect that perfect noon record guys. We'll catch up next week and uh, break it all down. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.